Amen. You may be seated. If you have a Bible, uh, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is uh, where we'll be this morning. We're actually going to get there in about 15 minutes. And so uh, this service is going to be uh, a little bit different than a normal service. Next week, we're going to open up the book of Jonah and start walking through the book of Jonah together. Uh, but today, uh, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, but before we do, who stayed up till midnight? I know, I think Brad asked, but I didn't, I didn't see, I wasn't paying attention. Uh, I'm just kidding, I was in the back. Uh, okay, uh, who, uh, who, who did not sleep at all? Any teenagers did, didn't stay, stayed up all night? Uh, okay, I know some worked all night. Uh, and so, uh, who's already planning to sleep in, in about five minutes? <laughs> all right, that's, I see you, I see you. Um, I'm just kidding. If you're visiting, my, you can probably sleep through my messages. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, it'll be good. I'm excited to be here. I love New Year's. I'm not much of New Year's resolution person, uh, but I'm trying. I'm trying. I think it's a good thing. New Year's is nonetheless a good thing to evaluate. It's a good time to look back uh, what God has done. It's a look, great time to look forward to what God is going to be and who God has, has called us to be and who, we, and who we should be. New Year's is a special time for that. And we're going to do that as a church, January 22nd. So hopefully uh, you mark your calendars to be a part of 6 p.m. It's going to be a celebration of what God has done and look forward to what God is going to do. And we're looking forward to that. But this morning, uh, I thought, what better way to, to look forward than to look back? And so that's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, before we dive into the book of Jonah, I wanted to just take today, if, if you don't know, uh, the first Sunday of the month is typically uh, is custom kind of for us to, to partake in the Lord's table. And so we're going to do that. Uh, but I wanted to take the morning to kind of talk about simply this thought, Jesus and his table. Jesus and his table. That's simply what I want to talk and to discuss uh, this morning with us. Last week we looked, if you were here, maybe watched online, we saw that there was this unexpected yet long-awaited birth. His name was Jesus. And what a special day that was and what a special celebration that we have because of the virgin birth of Jesus. But when you read the Bible, what we'll discover in the Bible was that Jesus was so much more than, than a baby in a manger, right? And we praise the Lord for that. Uh, but even if you're a believer in the room, Jesus is, is so much more than we can even fathom. In fact, I want us to do that right now. Uh, I want you to uh, think of what comes to mind when you think of Jesus. What, what name or what word comes to mind when you think of Jesus? And then, and then what I want you to do is I want you to tell your neighbor. What, what is it that comes to your mind when you think of Jesus? Go ahead. You can think of it. Maybe for you, I'll give you some spoilers if you don't know. Maybe it's Savior. Maybe it's a wonderful counselor, mighty God. Maybe last week uh, that stuck out to you. It's, it's the Prince of Peace. It's Alpha and Omega. It's beginning and the end. It's, it's our hope. It's our cornerstone. It's our foundation. He's our foundation. He's, he is, he's our all in all. Maybe those words come to mind. He's our bright and morning star. He's our Abba Father. He's our great sacrifice. He's our high priest. He's our high hope. He's uh, the, the bright and morning star. So many things. He's the image of the invincible God. So many things may come to your mind when you think of Jesus, but here's the blunt reality of it. He is more. He, he, he is more than, than you can even begin to fathom. 
And I did a quick Google search on who is Jesus, and it's interesting on the responses. I, I clicked a couple links, that, and I asked Google, who is Jesus, and here are some of the responses. Wikipedia says that he is the first century Jewish preacher, a religious leader, and a central figure of Christianity. Another one said that many believe that he's the incarnate God and long-awaited Messiah. Another one says that he was the baby born in a manger. Another one says that he grew up to be a great teacher. Another one said that he was the son of God, born of a virgin, died on the cross for the sins of the world. And no matter the truth to all of those, the reality is this, he surpasses them. He is, he is so much more than we can echo into words. Jesus is simply more. You know what 1 Timothy 6 verse 16 says? It says this, if you don't know it, it says alone. Jesus is alone. He alone is immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light. It goes on to say that no, no man can, no, whom no man has seen or no man can see, or, or whom be honor and everlasting power, that, that Jesus is holy, that he is incarnate God. He has no beginning and no end, that, that in his, the fullness of his glory will, will, will cause a man to strike as dead because he's that holy. It's, it's unapproachable light, which is why he had to first come to us, right? It's why he had to first come, be born of a virgin, live a perfect sinless life, and make a way for us to be saved because we cannot approach him in ourselves. He, he's too, he is too holy, and then remember Isaiah 6, what Isaiah 6 says, that in the year that you, uh, King Uzziah died, he saw the Lord on his throne high and lifted up, and the, and the, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and, it stood, and, and, and above it stood the seraphim, who had six wings, two covered their face, two covered their feet, and with two they did fly. The Bible says there are, there are angels in heaven that have six wings, and four are simply used to cover themselves because he, he is holy. Because God is a God who, who we cannot even begin to fathom. He, he is so much more than, than we realize. He's so much more than words put into practice. That God is, God is more. He is glory. He, we cannot even begin to utter all that God is. Remember what Job said. Job was viewed as one of the most righteous men in the Bible. And in Job 42, he says this. Uh, he says, uh, well, well, actually, before I hit Job, uh, I want to hit the rest of Isaiah 6. A after you see that in Isaiah 6, well, what will take place is, is you continue reading Isaiah 6, the, the Bible will say that there are doorposts that, that are shaking. Why? Because there are angels in heaven that are speaking to one another, almost in a way that they're not even worthy to speak to God. And what are they, what are they saying? The, the doorposts are saying, shaking as they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. They, holy, they cannot, they cannot, they, they are just simply expressing. And, and it's in such a way that it's shaking the doorposts because they're uttering with all their might that this God is a God who is holy, that we cover ourselves because we feel so unworthy, but through Jesus we've been made worthy. And, and so we cannot help but express it with all that we have, that there are angels in heaven who have been with God for eternity that are still echoing those phrases because God is holy. And then what Job said in Job 42, uh, whenever he says this, this righteous man, Job, he says it this way. He says, Job 42, verse 5, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. I've heard of you, but now my eye sees you. And then he says this, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. That Job was viewed as a righteous guy. Job was a guy who had a high viewpoint of God. Job, but, but Job was a guy who we would view as great, as godly. 
who walked with God, but, but when, he, when he went into the presence of God, he says, I despise myself because in a way I had a low thought point of you. You are so much more than I could even begin to, to fathom. That he's actually more. And so he, he, he just went, he, he fell on his knees in, in repentance. And then in John, John was known as, as, as a disciple. John was known as the beloved. And in Revelation 4, he gets a picture of this too in Revelation 4. And he says it this way. He says, when I saw him, I fell on my face as, as I fell at his feet as dead. And he came to me and he says, do not be afraid. I'm, I'm the beginning and the end. That the, understand, these are people with high viewpoints of God. These aren't people who's habitually living in sin. These aren't people who's rebel. These are people, Job and John, these are people who, who really went through the ringer for God. They really lived a life consistent. Yeah, sure, we all fall short of the glory of God, but they lived a life consistent. And what we find is that they, when they see the presence of God, they're humbled. They, they, they can't begin to utter all that God is, and they can simply fall on their knees and, and worship him. So what do you think of when you think of Jesus? What do you think of when you think of God? No doubt he surpasses it because he's greater and higher than anything that we can even begin to fathom. Psalm 145 says it this way, great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. <laughs> And we really sit, if we really sit here and we begin to acknowledge who God is and all that Jesus is, how can we not fall on our knees? How, how can we not shed a tear when we sing songs that we just sung? How can we not be moved to, to follow him that a God in heaven would actually love us choose to love us so much that he would send his only begotten son, that he would come and incarnate God would live among us who, who dwells in unapproachable light, that he would come and, and, and come to make a way for us to dwell with him too. And yet we get into 2023 and so often we can continue just to live a life of selfishness, just to live a life of, of consuming nature for ourselves, what's good for me, what, what, what's beneficial for me. Like, I'll, I'll follow God one day. I'll serve God one day. I'll serve God when it fits the schedule. I'll follow God when it benefits me. Uh, how, we still so much struggle to live a life of selfishness, and, and we excuse ourselves for it. Like, like hey, uh, you know, I just, I just don't love them anymore. Hey, I, I'll just never forgive them. Uh, what, what has God ever done for me? Seriously, like God is all of this and he surpasses our greatest understanding of him. How can we not fall on our knees and worship him? How does this, this not shake our theology and just fall on our knees before God? And so the question is this morning in 2023, are we going to be a people who completely follow God? Are we going to be a people who, who are completely just struck face? I'm going to pursue God with all that I have, with all my nature. I just want to follow him. I, every day I want to wake up and I just long to abide in him. I long to read his word. I long to pray. I long to fellowship with him. Each time I, time I, time I come to church, each time I open the word, I expect God to move. I expect God to reveal himself to me. I can't wait. 2023 is going to be a year where I follow God fully. And so if we want something to do in 2023, here's a simple solution. Discover Jesus. Discover Jesus. If you think you know Jesus, know him more. Learn him more. Study him more. 
This is a God who even the most righteous in the Bible will fall on their face in worship. And so do we. Do we fall on our face and worship this God? So much more. This, this new year, I, I just want to encourage you with the simple thought of Jesus and his table to just simply evaluate your view of Jesus. Just, just evaluate your view of Jesus. And here's what will happen when you do it effectively. You'll fall on your knees. When you evaluate who Jesus is, when you do it effectively, when, when you live daily in acknowledging Jesus, you cannot help but fall in a place of humility, but fall in a place of you're in awe of who God is and what God has done. And so as we were praying to start this new year, we're going to open up the book of Jonah. I just wanted to take a moment. And honestly, I, I, I've just been convicted uh, personally and even culturally just how, how we undervalue the Trinity and, and even how we undervalue what's now presently offered to us because Jesus came. That I remember in the Old Testament of Leviticus 16, there was this place called the Holy of Holies. The high priest could go in, but once a year, this was the place where the presence of God in that day was supposed to dwell. And there were strict, there were strict restrictions to go in. High priest had to follow these orders. He could only go in once a year on the Day of Atonement. In fact, people would die in the Old Testament because they would, they would abuse that. They would, they would not follow the restrictions. It was very, and then Jesus comes. And then Jesus is born of a virgin and Jesus lives a perfect sinless life and he dies on a cross for the sins of the whole world. And as our high priest, he pays that atonement offering through his blood and now the veil has been torn and now we have access into the presence of God that I don't need a priest, I don't need a sacrifice. He was my sacrifice and now his spirit dwells within me and I can have intercession with God through prayer. Like that is presently offered with me and yet it's so easy to be it's so easy to, to neglect. Like the Old Testament saints would, would die for what we presently have, and yet we so often neglect it. We so often abuse it. We so often, as we hear in a moment, we'll take communion. We so awfully take it so, so, so nonchalantly, like, like it's just something that we do, like it's just a custom that we hold. No, no, it's, it's the presence of God that we have, that we have intercession with, and that should change everything for us. And so does that change everything? You know, when Jesus did that, Hebrews 9, 24 says it this way, that for Christ has entered not into the holy place, which was made by hands, says so that was just a symbol of it. But when Jesus, what Jesus did, it continues and it says, but he's in heaven itself now to appear before the presence of God on our behalf. That right now Jesus is in heaven and is interceding on our behalf. That's what he's doing. Right now he's there and he's interceding and the Holy Spirit of God indwells us. And so the question is, how can we not fall on our knees and worship and give everything to a God who's done that for us? How can we not? How can we, how can we so easily give in to pride and give in to anger and give in to temptation and give in to the poor ethics and give in to all? How can, we, how can we live a life the way we do? And I'm not saying you do. I'm saying generally. How can we do that when, when God has done all this? 
When, he, when he's in heaven right now, interceding on our behalf. And he's saying, God, they're mine. They're mine. I've chosen them. I've made them worthy. They are for me. How, how, how can we not live a life differently? How can we not shake our homes and shake our community and shake our world for the gospel of Jesus after he has done all of that for us? Here's, here's what it is. It's an absolutely generous game changer. That he's absolutely been so generous to us. Have you ever met somebody had someone in your life that was abundantly, overly generous to you. Um, some of you have been super generous to our family and we're thankful for it, but I had a, I, had a, I, had a, I, I can call him a friend, but he really wasn't that much of a friend. But in college, there was this guy who, who was super generous to me for absolutely no reason. Maybe you have stories like this too. I mean, uh, if I didn't like the food in the cafeteria, which nine times out of nine, you didn't. But uh, if I didn't like the food, he'd be like, hey, let's go to Panda. I'll pay for you. It's just right down the road. Like he just wanted to hang out. If, if I like the food, very rarely, maybe pizza day, fried chicken day, maybe something like that, or the salad bar was popping that day, maybe. And he'd be like, here, take my food. I'll go get some more. He worked in the kitchen. It's like, he's always doing stuff. I had an injury. He was the first one to bring me ice. Like he was always, if I missed a class because I was either lazy or there was a game or something, like he took no notes for me. He was super generous to me, even, even whenever I didn't ask it. But there's a problem with this generosity because this guy loved, loved basketball, but he was not good at it. He was actually terrible. And we went to a small college, and it was not Trent, by the way. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, we went to a small college, by the way, uh, and there was not a ton to do. Uh, but uh, what, would, what would take place, since there was not a ton to do, you had like Frisbee golf, you had putt-putt, and you had basketball. That, would, that was it. That was the hangout in a coffee shop. And so a lot of people would just play pickup. And so sure enough, we'd be playing uh, pickup, and here we are. We probably have 40, 50 guys on the sideline just waiting to get on. And so uh, every time I was a captain of a team, we would just kinda, you would just kind of select who you wanted on your team. It was supposed to be who was next, but, you know, how that works. And so sure enough, here he is. I'm not going to say his name, but he would perk up, right? Like, hey, Travis. You need one more? Hey, Travis, you need one more? Hey, Travis, I'll pass. Hey, Travis, you need one more? Like, he was trying. And I always, it was always awkward because, no, I don't want you on my team. Like, you're generous to me, but you're terrible. I don't want you on my team. But I always felt guilty. I always felt like I had to, to select him on my team because of how nice he was to me and because he was so friendly to me. And, and here's the thing. It should not be guilt or obligation, but here's the thing. Because of what Jesus has done, because of who Jesus is, and because of what Jesus, Hebrews 9 says Jesus is still doing, we, 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 should, we should have a desire to give everything to him because he's been so abundantly generous to us. And so that should absolutely change everything for us. And so this new year, uh, what does that do for you? What does what Jesus has done shape the year that you're about to live because he's interceding because he's done and he's so much more than than we can even begin to fathom so much more so first corinthians chapter 11 in first corinthians chapter 11 paul is going to address uh, some issues with corinth uh, he's going to address these, these issues and uh, how they were partaking in communion. He's going to address some issues of disunity and division and just uh, they weren't being the church that God has called the church of Corinth to be. And he's going he's to address it. And essentially, the church of Corinth just missed the heart of God. 
They just, they just missed the heart that they were supposed to have. And so here they are, the church of Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to read from verse 17 all the way down to verse 34. And we're just going to high level talk about it. We can't talk about everything like we typically do. But we're just going to high level and we're going to see three thoughts. Then we're going to take communion. And hopefully we're going to shake our view of Jesus and submit to Jesus and fall on our knees this morning and worship him clearly. So follow along. Verse 17, the Bible says this. Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you uh, come not for the better, but for the worse. He says, first of all, when you come together as the church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. He says, first problems, there's, there's divisions here. You, you have problems here. You're not together here, for, for there also uh, must be fractions among you, and that those may be approved, uh, those who are approved may be recognized among you. He says some of this is because uh, some are going to be proved by these things, and some are going to be uh, evident by these things. Do you follow God or do you not? Are you faithful or are you not? Are you saved or are you not? Here, here it is, verse 20. Therefore, when you come together in one place, he says it's not to receive the Lord's Supper, for in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another one is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do, you despise, or do you just despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? I shall not praise you. And then, here we go, every month, we read this section of scripture together, and we take a drink, and we eat a cracker, and it says this, For I received from the Lord, which was also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And we had given thanks, he broke, and he said, take eat, this is my body which is broken to you, this do in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as oft as you eat and drink it in remembrance of me. For as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. So let him, eat and bre- let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks of judgment upon himself because he's not discerning the Lord's body. This is individually, uh, this, is, this is an individual process. For this reason, many are weak, many are sick among you, many sleep, meaning many are dead. For if we, judge, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned of this world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone's hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment, and the rest I will set in order when I come. So three things this morning after a very long introduction. The first one is simply this. What we see, first principle, we are called to unity, not division. We are called to unity, not division, uh, really, or convenience. What was taking place here is Corinth would partake in a communion during what was called the Agape Feast. The Agape Feast was this communal dinner uh, that they would share together. It was this fellowship that they would have. And so at the tail end of it, they would take communion. Now, that wasn't a problem in itself. The, the taking communion at the end of it wasn't the problem, but the division in the disunity that was in the church, that, that really was what was the essence of the problem. They, they essentially were abusing what God had ordained. They're abusing what God has established for the church to do. And so Paul writes, and he's like, I cannot commend you for this. Because you're, it's not allowing you to grow. This is not for your benefit. This is, not for your, this is not for your good. And so they were doing a good thing. Understand that. They were Hebrews, right? Not forsaking the assembly of, of, of themselves together. They were in, quote, unquote, unity, 
they were in community, but they were not in a spirit of unity. They, they, they were working together, but they were not doing what was right. And so he says, hey, you have some bad habits in this. Look at verse 20. It says this. He says, uh, therefore, when you come together in one place, it's not for the Lord's table. It's not for the Lord's supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. One is hungry and another is drunk. He's saying you've gotten sloppy here because you're not practicing a, a spirit of unity. This is kind of a, a, a habitual habit that you formed. It's not a, reverence, it's not a reverent remembrance. This is not... Uh, how it's designed to go. So what would essentially happen at this, at this feast is they would have kind of three different pockets and three different groups. There would be an upper class table, a common class table, and a lower class table. And what would happen if you're an upper class citizen, you would put your uh, food and things on the upper class table, uh, common class here, lower class there. And so naturally, there'll be a lot here in the upper class and there'll be very little here in the, in the poor table. And they weren't intermingling. There was no unity. There was not really any source of community, because if it was upper class, lower class, you can't touch it. Common class, you can't touch it. This is our, this is our table. This is, this is for us. And so this, the body wasn't, they weren't in unity. There was no unity at hand here. And so this is essentially what Paul's calling out. He's saying some of you are, are getting, are, are, have absence, have, a, have abundance, and some of you have nothing. Some of you are, are abusing it. Some of you are getting drunk. And over here, they, they have even nothing to drink and eat. There's, there's an abuse here. They were forsaking what the church of God was supposed to be, right? A community pushing together the hands and feet of Jesus. We operate. Now, I can only function as good as you function because we're in a body of, of Christ. And that's what Paul's addressing. He says you need unity here. Unity is missing. There's no unity in the church of, of Corinth. And Paul says we need to be together. And I believe this is something that the Bible echoes all throughout Scripture, that, that we need to be in a spirit of unity. The unity is essential for the body of Christ. And, and I hope you believe that. I believe that. I, I believe that God wants to use Village Bible Church. And I hope you do too. I hope you pray that God uses Village Bible Church. But whether there are 50 people in our church this time next year or 500 people, that doesn't matter. But the spirit and the community that's in the church, that's what matters. The question is not how do we grow a church. The question is, is the church of Christ right here being in a spirit of community, are they, are they working together? Are they equipping each other? Are they building each other up? Is there unity and community in this presence here? Because that's what was missing in the church of Corinth. And Paul calls it out. Paul's like, this is, this is, what, you're, this is what you're missing because you're divided. I have an illustration here um, for you. At first I thought this was a family service and then I realized it wasn't. So but nonetheless, I have an illustration here that I handmade myself. So if you need any props or Etsy projects, this is me. And I need, I need some help. So I need three people to come up and help me real quick. Uh, okay. Oh, all right. You guys raise your hands. So come here. Come on. I'm usually... Um, all right. Here we go. I want you to take a rope. You, you can sit there and take a rope. But all right. Take a rope. Take a rope. Take a rope. All right, here's what, here's what happened. Here, let's, let's define this for a second. And it's a silly little illustration. But let's say I'm the church and I'm, I'm walking in purpose, all right? Now, spoiler alert, sometimes, unfortunately, pastors are the ones that, that are outside the circle 
pulling away from the spirit of unity, but for this situation, we're going to say, I'm in the spirit of unity, and we're walking toward, Brad's the purpose. Brad is the purpose of God for our lives, and we're walking towards the purpose, okay? You're in the circle. We're walking towards the purpose together. Now, this was how God designed it. This was how God designed the church to go, and we just kind of take steps towards, towards the purpose of God, right? Very simple. Just take a step, one step at a time, one day at a time, walking in purpose. The issue at hand was there were people in the body that were essentially causing friction, causing resistance. So there was someone over here that were there maybe divided over preferential things. And so as we're trying to walk toward purpose, they're trying to, go ahead, pull us back, right? And so we can't take kind of the steps that God has, has called us to take because there's friction, there's resistance. And then there's somebody back here that, that's more so just divisions. There's bitterness. Some, somebody in the body has, has caused some problems. And so uh, they're not willing to let go. He, like right now, he's just not willing to let go of it. He's just like frustrated at it. And so he's causing some, go ahead, causing some, a little bit more. Yeah, bitterness, that, that, that'll kill you, right? Let's go, pull me, right? And so it's causing, it's causing friction. And so I'm pulled this way and I'm pulled that way. And then there's somebody over here and they're just addicted. Oh, he let go. He's gone. So, uh, and then there's somebody over here. They're they're addicted. They're afflicted, and so they're 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 not necessarily they're they're not even really following the spirit of unity because because they're 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 not living a life after God. Neither are any of them because we're causing disunity in the church. And so now he's pulling me. He's pulling me this way. And so here I'm pulled back. I'm pulled forward. I'm pulled everywhere except towards the path that God has for us. Right. And we see this in church. And the, and the, and the sad thing is, uh, this, this is selfish. And so often, this is what we call the church. This is what we call normal. <laughs> this is what we call just, just, it is what it is. And this is what the church of Corinth was dealing with. The church of Corinth, uh, we don't know the divisions. The divisions that the Bible says was the upper class, common class, and lower class. But there were divisions that were causing disunity. And they weren't being the body. And, and Paul's simply saying, hey, hey, you need to cut the cords. You need to cut the cords. You need to cut the cords, and you need, to, you, need to, you need to, he tied the cord. You need to, you need to, you need to, he ain't going anywhere. That addiction's real in his life. Uh, you, need, you need to cut the cord. You need to, hey, let's restore you. Come grab a hold. Come grab a hold. Let, let's, let's take the time. Let's not cut him off. Let, let's restore him. Hey, let, let's settle the bitter, bitterness. Let, let's restore him. And so uh, some you have to cut off. And so now, now, we, now, we, now we can effectively walk toward, towards the purpose of God. Right? Why? Because we're in a spirit of unity. Although there may be differences, we're in a spirit of unity because the spirit is what? Christ. And we're stepping towards the purpose of Christ. You guys can have that if you want. All right. You can be seated. So Paul, Paul's, Paul's, he took it. I'll bill your family later. Uh, Paul's, Paul's, uh, Paul's, Paul's message was simple. What was Paul's, Paul's thought? Let me find my place. Paul says this. Hey, let's push forward with presence. He says this, do you not have houses to eat and drink in or do you just despise the church of God? They can't, if you're gonna be selfish, Paul says, do it at home. Like, don't pull apart the, the body of Christ because your selfishness. He's like, hey, some, some are going hungry because you have absence. Some are, aren't even uh, acknowledging the Lord's table when they're partaking because they miss it because there's disunity in the church. The body's not what the body was intended to be. There's something going wrong here, and it's selfish. And here's the reality. God deserves more than our convenience. God deserves more than our convenience. And we need to step into that. We need to walk into that. We need to walk into the purpose that God has for us. Remember, God is much more than we can fathom. 
He is so much more than we can even begin to fathom. And here's the reality. Because Jesus died, because he was, was born of a virgin, he died for our sins, he paid that atonement offering, we now can walk in the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. We have access to the presence of God. And here's the thing. That is so convenient, but that should produce a life of reverence and that should produce a life of unity walking in the purpose that God has for us. That was my longest point, don't worry. The second one is this, we're called to reverently remember. We're called to reverently remember. Look at verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which was delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And we had given thanks, he broke it and said, take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And it's interesting to me, usually uh, we want to remember somebody's life. But Jesus says, remember why I gave mine. Uh, remember why I gave my life. Remember why, why I came. And, and as, picture the scene, as the disciples are up at that Last Supper, uh, sir, at that Last Supper theme, he, he, he's saying, he, he's combining. Here's Passover and here's the cross. And he's connecting them. How? He says, this is my body broken. This is my body broken. In that day during the Passover, they would eat unleavened bread. Unleavened bread was simply bread without yeast. In that day, yeast was a picture of sin. Yeast was a picture of, of corruption. But what happens when you made this unleavened bread was there would be imperfections because there was no yeast. And so there'd be holes in it. There'd be cracks in this unleavened bread. It was not whole. There, there were imperfections. And so picture the scene. This bread was without the, the picture of sin, right? No yeast, but took on the appearance of sin. It was broken. It was fragile. It had holes in it, which was Jesus, right? Who, who is with no sin, yet wore the, the penalty and the penalty and, and wore the bondage of our sins on the cross so that we may be set, saved. He says, this is my body broken. This is, this, this is all picture. Like this, this is me. You, you're, 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 for centuries, you've been dealing with this. For, for years, you've been partaking Passover meals. But the whole time, it was me. The whole time it was a picture of me. This is my body broken. Then he says, this is my blood shed. During Passover, they would have a couple cups that they would partake in. But, but here, the, he's probably speaking of the cup of redemption. Because this is what he came to do. This is Christ for us. Jeremiah 31 says it this way. For I will forgive their iniquities and their sin I will remember no more. 1 Peter 2, by his wounds I've been set free. By his wounds I've been, I've been healed. That we were once separated from God, but now we've been set apart from, for God if we believe. We, we've been, we're now, we're be, now we're being sanctified unto the presence of God. That's what he calls us to. That's why he died. And then verse 26 says, as often as you eat and drink this, you do proclaim the Lord's death until I come. That word proclaim actually means to preach that as we partake, we are effectively preaching the gospel through our lives. And here's the thing, that should be done with seriousness. That should be done with passion. That should be done with intentionality. That we are actively being participants in the gospel going forward as we simply pause to remember and to reflect. We're actually participating in the gospel of Christ going forward. That's why, he, he, that's why Paul says, hey, there are some that's not even focusing on the Lord's death when they partake in this. They're missing it. They're not, they're not focusing in on the gospel and what I came to do. They miss the whole thing. And remember, every time we partake, we, we are essentially saying that he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. No man comes unto the Father except through him. We're, we're, we're preaching the gospel every time we do this. 
So it should be serious. And the last thing we see is this. We are called to prepare ourselves. We're called to remember, but we're also we're called to be in unity, but we're also called to examine. We're called to prepare. Look what the Bible says in verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of Christ. But let a man examine himself. So let a man eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks of the judgment from him to himself. Why? Because here it is. He's not discerning on the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned of the world. Paul's not saying that we need to take this in a, in a worthy manner. He, he's, saying, he, he's not saying that we need to be worthy to take this. He's saying we need to take it in a worthy manner. There's, there's a big difference because you may be sitting here and you say, well, I don't feel very worthy. <laughs> and that's because you're not worthy. None of us are worthy. It's, it's Christ who gives us worth. We cannot take this worthy. We can take this because he is worthy and we believe in him and he resides in, in our hearts. He, he has made us worthy. And so he's not saying you need to be worthy to take this. You need to take this in a worthy manner. Well, how do you do that? You need to reflect. You need to remember. You need to examine yourself. He says, he says, you need to prepare yourself for this. You need to prepare yourself. You need to let go of those hidden rooted sins in your life. You need to let go. There's disunity in the body. You think you're better than others. That's what Corinth thought. You need to let go so that you can walk in purpose, so that we can effectively partake the way that God has called us to partake. He says, remember, Corinth, we are practicing something that Jesus has come to, to eliminate the sins in our life. And so he says, it doesn't make sense for you to withhold sin when you partake this. You need to let go. You need to give it to God. You need to change. You need to, uh, you need to examine yourself when you do this. Paul says, here's a table, and there should be unity here. There should be reverence here. But there should also be preparation here. There should be unity at the table. There should be reverence at the table. But there should also be preparation. We should prepare. But notice, Paul does not write this to exclude people from the table. Paul's simply writing this to prepare people for the table. He's not trying to get some in Corinth to abandon the faith. He's not trying to get some in Corinth not to do what God has ordained us to do. He's trying to simply to get them to evaluate and to, to get them to take it serious. To, to get them to effectively prepare what God has come to do, that the Lord's table is a place to reflect, the Lord's table is a place to, to unify, and the Lord's table is a place to submit. And so he says, hey, Corinth, we got to get on the same page. we got to get on the same page. you got to have unity. you got to keep it reverent, and you got to prepare yourselves because there's room at the table, because there needs to be unity at this table. And so hopefully there is here. And Paul even says, many of you are weak because you're not unified. Many of you are weak and sick because, because you're not reverent. Many of you are weak and sick because, because you have not properly prepared. You're not ready for this. It's, 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 about, it's, not, it's not what it's about. You're not doing what he's ordained it to, to be. And so this morning, the message is very simple, very elementary, and I apologize for that. We'll hit Jonah next week. Don't worry. But it's simple, it's about Jesus. It's about his table. That Jesus, incarnate God, has come and, and caused a world who had no worth to give them worth. And so now he says, come, sit at my table, but prepare. There needs to be unity here. You need to be reverent here. And let's prepare because this is 
a serious endeavor that should actually ignite a greater dedication for us to follow him more. Each time that we should have this great desire, hey, I want to follow Jesus. And so this morning we're going to take communion. And I hope that as we do, you'll reflect and your, your acknowledgement of Jesus will grow a little bit. And you actually fall on your face, you'll fall on your knees, you're, you'll, you'll sit in your seat in humble reality that Jesus offers for us to meet in this place. And he offers for us, you are, you, are we worthy? No, but, but he has made us worthy if we believe. And this is not to, this preparation is not to exclude people, it's to prepare people for the table of Christ and the reflection of Christ. And so the question is this this morning, is there unity at the table? First, first question is this, are you saved? Has there been a time when you've confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus did all of this so that you could be saved, so that you could come into union with him, so that you with no worth could have worth because he is worth? Because he is worthy, and he says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is, Jesus did, and, and, he, and he still is in heaven and, and making intercession for us, do you believe that? You can be saved. So have you been saved? He says, if you confess in your mouth and believe in your heart, you, you can do this. And then secondly, do you need to confess? Is there sin in your life? Is there disunity in your life? As, as some music begins to play, now would be a perfect time for you to sit in your seat and just say, Lord... Lord, Lord, cleanse me. Lord, Lord, help me. Lord, use me. Lord, I want that peace. I want that understanding. Lord, I want, I want to fall on my face. I want to humbly come before you. Forgive me. Maybe it's just a time for you to, to say, Lord, this is, this is what I get to do. To personally declare the gospel as I eat a cracker and I, and I drink some bread. That I actually get to declare the gospel through this. That gospel that, that I hold so dearly that I actually get to, to participate in it. As you've done everything, I just get to acknowledge that what you did and now I can go out and I can live in greater dependence on you. So maybe you need to be saved. Maybe you need to confess or maybe you just need to fall on your face before God because he is so much more than we can fathom. Would you take a moment, just prepare your hearts before we partake.